Welcome to the Get Sacred Podcast. I'm your host, intuitive life coach, Melissa Elysian, and I'm here to teach you how to create more money, more love, and more sacred success. If you're ready to create a lusciously abundant and pleasure-filled life, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Get Sacred Podcast. Today feels really special. I have one of my good friends on, Theora Moench. Did I pronounce your last name right? Mench, silent O. It's kind of a curveball. Ah, okay. Thank you, Mench, um, who I've known for years, who sent out an email about love that made me want to email her about a book on love. And then since then, I've seen her reading said book. And I was like, oh, I can't wait for us to talk about this book. And then I was like, oh, of course, we should do it on the podcast. (laughs) We should do it on the podcast. So um, we're going to be talking about All About Love by Bell Hooks, this like life-saving Bible of life. Oh, so good. And um, I'm going to have Theora give her give her own intro because she is made of so many forms of magic that I want her to capture them all. Well, the first thing people need to know is I'm a cutie who lives in the woods. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) I like, I like dressed up for it today, but other than that, I am a business consultant. I work with uh, small business owners who provide services and I help them scale and most importantly, create energetic, energetic sustainability while they grow because Man, burnout is the the word of 2021. And then I'm also a relationship expert. So I run programs teaching people about relational intelligence and how to date in ways that are rejuvenating and fun and effective so they can meet cool people and then start awesome relationships. And I also have my own podcast called Beautiful Weirdos, which is a podcast by, for, and about people who are beautifully weird. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you for that. So we're going to dive into this book. I thought Dior was the most perfect person to do it with. I mean, obviously, because I sent it to you, but I was like, oh my goodness, of course, (laughs) of course we should dive into this book together. Like, I don't think I would want to have no offense to everybody else, but like, if you, if there was a list, I would pick you first. (laughs) And I did. uh, And I did. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to hop into, I mean, as we were navigating this book and thinking about how we wanted to talk about it, The idea was we were going to pick some quotes and like pick them out. But this book is so good that we're like paid in the introduction. And we're like, okay, maybe we just talk about the quotes in the introduction because it's that damn good. So we're in the introduction on page 26 and it starts. And I want to share this quote. It says, we want to know love. We are simply afraid to desire to know too much about love. Wait. I'm sorry, let me read that again. We want to know love. We are simply afraid the desire to know too much about love will lead us closer and closer to the abyss of lovelessness. And I wanted to start there because I think this is why we don't have conversations about love is this truth. I mean, I we talk about romantic love all the time as a society, as a culture, but we don't talk about love and friendships. We don't talk about love for strangers. We don't talk about like everyday love that's not about to make like millions of dollars at the box office. (laughs) We don't talk about that like life-sustaining love. And I think it's because we're afraid of what it would mean 
to acknowledge the places where we don't feel love. Um, what did this quote bring up for you when you read it? Um, tell me your thoughts. Oh my gosh, so many. Um, yeah, this book is so rich. I have things underlined on almost every single page. Uh, and then tons of little post-its <laughs> with notes on them. But um, this quote, there's a couple of things that this evokes for me. One is it struck a super, super intimate personal chord for me. So I'm, I'm a dating coach, a relationship coach. I've been doing that for years now. And uh, a like very personal fear I have because I'm not in a committed partnership right now. I'm not, I haven't found my person yet is sometimes I wonder, have I learned too much about relationship? Have I learned too much about love that I will actually never be able to meet, be met in that intelligence. And so like this was reading my, like the, my own fears that I've had in the privacy of my own heart out loud to me. And it's also something that I've seen in my professional sphere of why people are so reserved. Like one of the things, like if you want to get fit, people will Google a trainer. They'll look at YouTube videos. But if you want to find fulfilling love, most we're all really, really blinded by this, this harmful myth. Esther Perel agrees with me on this, that like, well, it just happens. Mm, if you're a yes. good person, it just happens. And actually... And even in even the, again, it's kind of focusing on romantic love for a second, even like love finds you when you're not looking for it. So if you start to look for it, you must already be doing something wrong and pushing it further away from you. So there's this like really interesting sort of like container or cage around love that prevents people from being curious about it because they should already know, right? Like you yeah. should just already know so how it's, it works. Well, it's supposed to magically happen, so... So if you're doing it intentionally, like you're, there's already something wrong with you. And, and if it's, so there's, there's just these like interesting forces at play that really prevent people from getting curious about like how bonding works, how relationship, like what relationships really require, how to, and, and what I love is she oftentimes, Belle in the book, oftentimes, um, Sorry, I was like, I should, I should call her Hooks. <laughs> Miss Hooks. Um, anyway, okay. Uh, she oftentimes calls it the art of loving. Mm -hmm. And and we so often think of love as this feeling rather than it being like this, this action or this thing that we commit to. Anyway, there's just like this massive sort of container around love that makes us really fearful of seeking learning out about it. And I think because it's like, if we have to learn about it, then it must mean that we're not worthy and we can't have it, or there's something like fundamentally wrong with us. Yeah. When you said that part, when you said about what you said about the idea that like, if someone wanted to like go on a diet or get stronger, like we already know, like the tendency is to get on the extreme diet, like decide they're going to go to the gym every day or whatever. Like we're, we're, our brains are kind of primed for that kind of like, let's make it happen now. And when you talk about that with love, it seems like something's wrong. Like you're being desperate, mm -hmm. right? You're being desperate and you're forcing it and you shouldn't have to do that. Like we should, as if we shouldn't have to like give energy, time, attention to love and how to do love 
right? How to be love. And then for me with when this quote, like uh, snatched all my edges and like <laughs> shook me to the core because in acknowledging like, we're not looking at it closely because we don't want to feel the emptiness of it. We don't want to notice where it's missing. As soon as I read that, I was like, oh, when I think about love in my friendships or love in my family separate from romantic relationships, in the places, like if, if I look at my family and I think of the places where love is missing, like I don't want to do that. I do not want to acknowledge the places that love is missing. So I don't want to think about how to put it there. I don't want to feel that it's gone. I'm almost hoping to like numb it out. And her calling that out at the beginning of the book, I was like, oh, this book is going to fuck me up because she's going to call me on my shit from the very beginning. I think that, I mean, how often are you having conversations? And I mean, you're a very special person, right? Because because love is love is, is just in the mix in your life. But how often are you having conversations with friends or like in platonic relationships about love that's not about romance? That's about like, not even about, I'm not even going to say not about romance, not about love the feeling as much as love the doing. Yeah. So you're right in that I'm a black sheep where I'm having these conversations all the time, but I hear from people that I like, they've never had conversations like this. Mm -hmm. And so, and it can be really overwhelming for people, um, especially men in my experience. Um, and she kind of gets into that in future chapters. Um, but is, I I think you hit the nail on the head like, yes, that fear that like, will never, for those of us who don't have partnership, will that ever happen? But then also <clears throat> throughout the beginning of the book, she really highlights lovelessness in our families. You mentioned this, right? Yeah. Where if we start to learn what healthy, fulfilling love looks like, then almost all of us will have to admit that there were that there was lovelessness in our homes because we're just this like, we're a very traumatized species. Yeah. And like loving, affirming homes that modeled healthy discipline and healthy boundaries where like people weren't punished, where like abuse wasn't confused, wasn't like layered in with caring, like very, very few people. Have, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and so there's there's this like this self-protective mechanism of of um avoiding it. Or the conversations, like you said, we have they're about romance, but they're all super reactive. They're not curious conversations, right? If you think about like anytime you get together with friends and they're talking about with either what's going on with their partners or or in in dating, it's never like my partner's doing this thing that's driving that's driving me crazy. Can you guys help me workshop how I could love him better so that we could connect oh, again? Yeah. No, never that. <laughs> it's right? like it's we like how our, could he do that? Yeah. <laughs> it's all about, and I mean, there, there's okay. I'm gonna say it's usually all about like coming to an acceptance at the at best, as opposed to how do I infuse love. And I think there's a lot of value in accepting, but like, if you're just accepting is acceptance is not the same thing as love. Mm -hmm. It's not like tolerating someone (laughs) is not the same thing as love in action. And so tolerating always comes with the tax. 
and it's and it's oh, a delayed yeah. tax <laughs> resentment. <laughs> yes, like tolerance never comes without a, without a buddy. A hundred percent. Anyway, that page twenty six. Mess- I was like, okay, so I see what we're doing here. <laughs> I see what we're doing here. I will not be. I will not be avoiding this. And I I feel like talking about love this way is not something that I've tried to avoid, but mm-hmm. I definitely in that line recognize the places where I've tried to avoid feeling like I'll talk Mm. I I can talk about this but but talking about it and then having to have something come up where I have to acknowledge where the love is missing and like struggling to get to the place where I would inject love because what I'm feeling when it's missing is like unlovable instead of, oh, the thing that's missing is me adding love to it. Anyway, so this- No, can you say that again? When I, when I recognize that love is missing, mm-hmm. what I could do is add love to it. But I don't. I don't add love to it because what happens before I even think about adding love to it is I feel unloved. I mm-hmm. notice where it's missing and I make it personal. I make it be- mean that I'm not being loved. There's something wrong with me. I'm not lovable. And so that's why it's not happening. Or maybe that's why it's not happening. And from that place, I don't think, oh, the thing that's missing is my love. It like stops me in the tracks of adding the love. And and it's because of what she's saying, right? Like the fear that I'm going to just fall into an abyss, which is what happens. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm going to fall into an abyss of lovelessness just the, just just the mere thought or energy of like fearing that I might come next to that has made it worthwhile in the past hopefully not in the future to just like leave it alone like mm-hmm. be in acceptance and be like oh that's just the person like I don't have to add any love I just need to just like eh, it's fine move on anyway those are my thoughts on that line and I and it and it and I think it captures the rest of the book, it pulls you into what this book is about. Like we're going straight into the abyss <laughs> and we're, and we find love there. Thank God. Yeah. Be- before we hit record, um, the thing that I said is, or I, you know, I shared with you was what she does so masterfully and so richly and so thoroughly is she really it's like an autopsy kind of where she's like dissecting and she's pulling out all these vital organs that are required to actually truly be loving, which she differentiates. I don't know if we'll get to it on this call, but like that, which she differentiates from care and affection, care and affection are parts of love, but they are not in fact all of love. And, and actually what I found really validating was I've been in relationships where there was care and affection, but I was experiencing that lovelessness where I, I was pouring love in, but there was no, there was actually no love being poured into me. Let's talk about it. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Go deeper. Okay. Should I find the quote? If you want to, (laughs) if you can. Oh, here. I literally just opened it up to page 10. She says, one pattern that made the practice of love especially difficult was my constantly choosing to be with men who were emotionally wounded, who were not that interested in being loving, even though they desired to be loved. 
by choosing men who were not interested in being loving, I was able to practice giving love, but always within an unfulfilling context. Naturally, my need to receive love was not met. And that I was like, okay, like, where are you at? <laughs> what, what wall are you hanging out on? Because that's very much how um, my last few relationships have felt. Um, and this also ties, okay, come all over the place. This also ties into the way she defines love, which is. Yeah, talk about the care. The difference, she, if she can, about the difference between care as opposed to like being all of love and just, and it rather being just a part of love. Yeah. The definition she uses, she pulls from the book, The Road Less Traveled, I think. Um, or whatever, you can find it on page four. But Eric Fromm defines love as the will to extend one's self for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. So like self-love would be extending your will um, for the purpose of nurturing your own spiritual growth or another's. And that was something that in my last couple of relationships, I really did not feel them choosing me or their relationship. I didn't feel them extending their will to support my spiritual growth. It was like they were focused on their spiritual growth. And if that worked for me, great. But if it didn't, like, sorry, that makes me really uncomfortable. That feels like too much. That feels like a burden. That feels hard. That That's not like affirming of me. And so this, these men who wanted to be loved and felt very loved by me and have reflected that back. And so they have this perception of the way our relationship was. And I recently had one reach out and try to become friends again. And I just had to share like, my relationship for our relationship is very different than yours was. Um. I think because they felt much more loved than I felt. And yes, there was care and affection at times, but there wasn't this will to it to, to really like show up for my spiritual growth. It it was always kind of it was always kind of posited as an adversary of their needs getting met. Mm, like yeah. going going beyond the self was always uncomfortable or a burden or too much or that's your job yeah but, that's your work alone but would, as opposed to being in partnership with you as you're well, in partnership with them where we dance and like there are yeah. times where it's like yes of course there's things that there's a lot of self-care that I'm responsible for there's a lot of self-care but the beauty of partnership is that creative generative artistic space that you get to come into together when at times you dance into and extend into each other's spheres hopefully like often and generously and with enthusiasm and so there was they were more than happy to receive that from me to receive me extending in and supporting them and uh but then when it when I was like okay like I'm taxed I need support it was always like well that's your job mm, yeah and so this who were very interested in being loved who desired to be loved but were not all that interested in being loving yeah, I definitely, my versions of experiences that feel similar where like the mis, there's this mismatch have been in the care as a substitute for that kind of willingness to be a partner with me in my spiritual growth. And so there's so much care. There's so much making sure I'm all right. There's so much providing for 
like in in duty and 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 it is a and it is kind of love it is a kind of love but it's not all encompassing and so i could still feel the missing parts of the help that i the help that i wanted in like my bigger work with my soul like i want you to partner with me i want you to cheer me on i want you to participate in that and it's interesting cuz i feel like probably just from my like cultural upbringing too my parents are both immigrants to this country who's like were the first to go to undergrad graduate undergrad here and like i feel like their experience of coming here and like making it happen like for themselves like making it work having kids and like making sure that they were thriving included like focus on the care and like they gave me they gave me religion to offer that spiritual growth they were like here are the here's the tools we're going to give you for the spiritual growth you got it we're going to cheer you on on that front but the thing that led and i feel like not without judgment, I could say, I feel like the thing that led was they were like, no, but we're going to care first. Like, that's what you need first. And we just know because of hierarchies, right? That that's essential. But eventually, like, I could tell the difference. Mm -hmm. I remember as a kid telling the difference between like, they're sacrificing, they're, they're like struggling to make these things happen. And I know they have deep love for me. And that's why they're doing it. And it's not the same thing as being seen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's not the same thing as like them knowing me and like really knowing who I am and seeing me for who I am it's not the same thing as cheering that person on that they know well because they're really seeing me and I could probably come up with a thousand reasons for why their attentions were elsewhere but the more important thing is like noticing the difference like I could feel the difference I know there's a difference between the care as a like a piece of love versus care being love in in totality. Yeah. And she, she talks about this a lot where, right. Where she talks about families as the quote, original school of love where, and we see this, we see some, some really beautiful things like transgenerationally. Right. So I'm sure that like the way that your parents cared for you was an upgrade from the way that their parents, I know that the way that my dad cared for me and my mom cared for me because they were the children of alcoholics. Right. I think I've saw, saw my dad drunk once in my entire life. You know what I mean? Like they experienced physical abuse, psychological, you know, like it's definitely an upgrade from one, from one to the next. Um, but talking about this thing that where, again, like in the definition that she encourages us to adopt the, what is that? Um, she goes on to like dive deeper and say, love is an act of will, namely both an intention and an action. Will implies choice. We do not have to love, we choose to love. But in so many families, love, the way like you mentioned, like love is born out. It's like, or it's you're taught that it's born out of blood. Yeah. It's, it's rooted in genetics and that, and it's very much um, colored by duty and obligation. And in this, right. Like, I mean, the name of my relationship coaching company is called truly chosen Mm -hmm. because that is what I was hearing over and over and over again was like, I want to feel fully and truly chosen. And in order to fully be, be fully and truly chosen, 
someone has to see you. They have to know you, right? It's like, I'm taking care of you because you're my, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not placing the story on your family, right? But like, it's one thing where like you and I, we find each other, we light each other up. We like discover the things where you're like, oh, I want this one versus like, I'm taking care of you because I'm your parent. Right. And I'm supposed to, and, and I want to like, you know, I want to, I, I love you. But it's like, yeah, but is it because you're supposed to, because it's duty or is it because like you've really slowed down and like witnessed the magic of who I am Mm. and, and, and it's like, then it's like an intentional yes to that person. Yeah. I really love that you just spoke to the first that you spoke to the idea that like in the, in the lineages of families, we get to upgrade right? Love gets to like upgrade, right? So we don't have to think about it in a way where like family history means like just lack equals lack of love. No, we get to see that over time that each generation gets to learn how to love better, Mm -hmm. right? So I love that because it makes it, uh, it erases the shame about it. Like Mm -hmm. it's a journey, it's a lineage, it's a legacy of love that gets to grow as opposed to like, <laughs> this is bad. It was like, no, this is the capacity of love that could be had here. And then you get to grow it and every generation gets to, has the opportunity to grow it. Amazing. And I, and I, and I, and what you're saying about like choosing people, right? Like how we're talking about our friendship, right? Like we chose each other and how we don't necessarily do that in our families and how we actually can, right? Like we can we can take something that is born out of genetics and born out of duty and choose because love is a choice. We can choose to see, right? Like we can we cannot make this person just be familiar because I grew up with them. Like I can choose to see my siblings as they change, as they grow, as they become different versions of themselves. Like I can continue to choose over and over to have them have the experience that I've chosen who they are, not just because they happen to be there. Like I can do that as an act of love, Mm. which is so like yummy. And also the flip side of now, now all of a sudden with this idea that love is a choice, an action, not a feeling, which we can talk about next, uh, is you can also liberate yourself and, and liberate yourself from bonds of duty with people who are not loving you, right? Like, I know, I, I, I have, I've had quite a few relationships where parents would say, "Well, like, you have to do this because, you know, you have to respect me because I'm your mother." And I didn't have that dynamic. And I remember telling my friends at high school, I was like, Mm-mm-mm, "Respect is earned." No one is entitled to respect. You have to show up in a way that is deserving of respect. And 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 what I think too, which she does this really beautiful job is she delineates or she she has found a way to use the word dysfunctional to be an objective descriptor rather than an indictment of her family. Yeah. Where she goes back and she says, it was very clear to her at a young age that she was, she and her siblings were told, well, like I'm hitting you because I love you. Yes. I've been there. Yeah. And <laughs> I've been there. And it's very confusing as a child. Cause you're like, what? 
And then you, and then you are raised in an, an ecosystem that confuses you, that teaches you that love and abuse can coexist. And this is very, this whole book is an argument that that's not actually true. Yeah. It's so good. And it's so poignant because like, as a person, like as a member of the black community, just knowing where the violence comes from, where it Mm -hmm. originates and how, you know, when I see it prevailing in black culture now, I understand its roots and I understand how it's still tied to survival, right? I think of I think of youth of color and how their families have chosen to give them rules and discipline that mirror something that will keep them safe in this society. And if you ask them, they will tell you it's love, right? Like this, mm-hmm. like, this is how I'm trying to keep you alive. And as a person who had that experience, I could recognize how that was true and still absolutely know in my bones that that's not, it's not, the, it doesn't fill this, it doesn't fill that same space. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do what love does when love chooses you, right? It doesn't do um, what love does when it, when it allows you to grow spiritually, right? To let you like bust out of all of the shells when it gives you permission to liberate yourself. It doesn't do that. It just keeps you alive. I think that has probably been my biggest lesson with love in my family as an adult was like recognizing how much of their love was communicated through fear just to keep me alive and how the times I wanted to resent that I like, I'm like, that was their best fucking offering for making sure that I would even get to have a choice to not even like it. Like they, like yeah. they were like, I was, we would like you present and then you can be pissed off at us. And that was their best offering. And I appreciate her choosing to describe her family as a dysfunctional like system, as opposed to making players like evil, mm-hmm. making them bad. She recognizes their inability or their like inexperience with love right? As, as how that happened. She, I mean, I think she would probably posit that, that those people grew up in homes are either like mimicking behaviors that they experienced or like they could, I mean, she has, she has so many arguments for parents who do not know or who have only known lovelessness don't know how to teach children the art mm-hmm. of loving. Yeah. Um, and I think even what you said is really important, right? Where it was like something that was actually trumping the art of loving was protection. And protection is not necessarily loving. Yeah. It's, a, it, I mean, yeah. So, uh, it's, it's, not, not that it's not loving, right? It's not, but it is not right. equal like, to there's loving. This, there's this beautiful fine line there, right? We like we know the we know the intention, we know the roots, right? But like, if you don't know the freedom that love can give, then it's hard for you to know how to give it. And so you give the best love that you think you can, or you give the best love that you can, and the best love that you can, it didn't include all of the things that love is. And so you get these like fragmented things that are fear and protection and projections and like making people smaller than they really are to keep using shame, using guilt. Exactly. Using shame, using guilt. 
which is the opposite of the freedom that comes from being chosen and having someone actually want you to take up all the space your soul <laughs> wants to take, you know? But it's, I mean, I say the opposite, but it's like, is it the opposite? Yeah, it is. It is. It acts, it acts against it in yeah. the name of quote unquote love, but it's not. It's not I think that that's exactly what, well, so far, I haven't finished the book. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, we're, we're just perusing. I've read it once and I feel like I, like this will just happen to have it over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, the, the prevailing thing I'm seeing is it's kind of like we have all these raw ingredients, right? Like protection, care, punishment and and we because we see them so often recurring in a family system and then she has this this brilliant freaking word which like has set me free she talks about cathexis do you remember her talking about this i don't where did okay. she talking about so the cathexis when we feel deeply drawn to someone we cathect with them that is we invest feelings or emotion in them that process of investment wherein a loved one becomes important to us is called the cathexis most of us confuse cathecting with love mm, yes i remember this yeah and so and so it's like there's all these ingredients that culminate in cathexis, but because it's such a strong feeling, most people say, well, that's love. That must be but love. Then you, but then you go back, right? And this is especially true when I've been like walking people through breakups where they're telling me all of these ways this other person hurt them. And then they're like, but like, I love them or like, I, but I thought they loved me. But there's this there, I think there's this sort of bone deep dissonance we experience where it's like, well, if you loved me, how could you do that to me? Mm -hmm. And I think it's because, well, I don't know if it actually resides in the space of loving. I think it re resides in this space of emotional investment yes. and making someone really important to us and becoming deeply emotionally invested. And so what you're saying is, is, is I think love might be like one of the ingredients in these sort of messy pies that we grow up inside of. And what she's arguing for is that little tiny slice that shows up sometimes, right? Like aunt, she, she mentions at one point where like people will argue for, that they're not being abused and then they'll kind of cite these sort of like random and sporadic, but more rare experience of like when their parent did something kind and they'll be like, see, this like one time, that one year, or you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I think it's it's realizing what she, she wants to make the whole pie out of loving and really identify that these other raw ingredients may not belong in there, but they are our imperfect way of trying to approximate loving. But they but but that there is like a, a very real separation between the two um what was I going to tell you that you were talking about cathexis and breakup and how like a person can lose like a person like I've never been there before <laughs> like, all those other folk all these like, like someone else did that right this experience of like having these bad things happen and still having that emotional tightness and I it's, first, I just want to laugh because we never made it to like the other quote that we had in mind. 
<laughs> but second, I just want to say that like that connection, the strength of that connection that happens when we want to ignore all of the bad things and like hold on to this thing and like, oh, but I still have this deep love. I think again, it comes back to the original quote that we read about this like being afraid to be in this like abyss of lovelessness. Because if we knew how to do love better, like we could recognize that the love was missing and know that that was something else. But when we're, when we're in the yearning for love, all sorts of things can easily be substituted. You know, like all sorts of stuff we allow to replace what love actually is. Yeah, so the thing that came to mind for me about that is um, it's, it's like the thing that we're avoiding is also the key to our liberation in love, mm. which is the reason we have trouble not identifying. Well, okay. If we can admit that we we grew up in an environment of lovelessness without making it an indictment of our families, right? Where we can still we can still claim and honor the parts that were valuable and important and also lovingly give responsibility for the harmful things maybe back to the people who did the harming. And we start to center ourselves in the art of loving. What does it mean? What is it? What does it feel like? How does it benefit us? Then we don't confuse cathexis for loving. So we don't misdiagnose connections. We don't, like if we can embody loving, like truly based, like in, based off of Bell Hooks's definition, then we can't gloss over red flags anymore because they will stand out like neon warning signs because we will go, oh, this is a manifestation of lovelessness. This does not fit into the loving that I am here to be part of co-creating, to be giving, to be receiving. And so we won't fall into this old trap that happens where when cathexis gets mislabeled as love. Yes. Okay. That is a brilliant place to like wrap it up because what you're saying is just like the heart of the matter. Like we grow up in a ways where love is mixed in with all sorts of stuff and we call it all love and it's not all love. Mm -hmm. And then we leave that, right? We leave that container that is genetic, right? And a duty and is kind of this playground for where we learn love and we get these mixed messages about what is and what it isn't. We leave there, we're confused and we go out in the real world and we're like, love includes all these things that it's not supposed to include because that's the way that I got it. Mm -hmm. And this conversation of exploring this freaking legendary epic book on love is just an invitation for you and me and everybody else to learn a little bit more about love so that we can do it better so that we can experience it more and pass it on. Yeah. And so that we can like lift up the next generation and teach them how to love more too. So good. So good. Thank you so much.
Oh my gosh, thank you. <laughs> this is like my favorite like geek zone to spice time in. Yes, agreed. I think it was fantastic. <laughs> and I kind of like, while we were doing it, I was like, oh, this is our first conversation on this. And as we, I think if we do more, it'll just be like, like it'll just come together so much better. So I'm, I'm, that was, that was very good for a first plunge. <laughs> it was. Yeah, I'm into um, it. Is there anything that you want to share with the peoples about how to find you or what you're going to be up to, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, I guess like two favorite places, uh, Instagram, um, is a great place. If you want to like DM and ask me questions about anything I shared or insights, I mean, I'm, I, you can do this with Melissa as well. She loves to be <laughs> in the DM. I'll just, I'm just going to pimp you out. <laughs> um, but the other thing is like for people that are really interested in spending more time in this zone is the relationship dojo, which is my monthly membership where the, that remember how I mentioned, like, you know, if you bring it to your friends, they're going to, they're kind of going to get on the like harsh on harsh on your partner bandwagon, or you can come and we can actually workshop creative ways to interact with colleagues, with partners, with um, prospective partners, all that kind of stuff. These, these are the kinds of things where we, where I invite people back into creativity and what is it like to like love someone better so that you can deepen intimacy rather than be adversaries in a dynamic or something like that. So if people are, are into it, then I would DM me about the relationship dojo and I can tell them, I can help them decide if it's a place they want to hang out. Sounds good. Highly recommend. I think it was one of the emails about the dojo that was like, I was like, have you read this book, by the way? <laughs> I think you'll love it. And then um, I think I sent you a picture. I was like, I'm reading it, right? <laughs> yes, it was something like that. So yeah, I think that's the right place for people to go. Um, thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Get Sacred podcast. For more ways to connect, I want you to head to melissaelysian.com. To be coached by me, head to my website and schedule a time for us to chat all things sacred and sovereign about your life and your business. The link is in the show notes. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.